As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry. Your palms damp. Suddenly a chill runs down your spine. You clutch the person next to you. You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to go Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Anthony from Tissa Podcast. And this is our review of Smile, starring Sosie Bacon, Jesse T. Usher, Kyle Gallner, Caitlin Stacy, Kyle Penn, Rob Morgan, Robin Weigart, Jillian Zinzer, and Jack Soche. Written and directed by Parker Finn, released in 2022 on a $17 million budget, already grossed over $90 million at the box office as of this recording. This may be the most impromptu film strip episode of all time, <laughs> going all the way back to the original days when Anna and I were doing rom-coms and we were scheduled to do one. We both watched the movie and realized we had nothing to say about it, but both had recently watched While You Were Sleeping and <laughs> got audible at the last minute to do that. We, we both knew it enough. But since then, you were usually playing these things out. We were just playing him for three chapters of Shocktober, but I saw this in uh, a, a matinee. Uh, it's been out for a couple weeks now, but I finally got around to it, Anthony. And I walked out of it and I was like, man, I really wish I had a film strip episode about this. Who in the world has possibly seen this? They could talk about it on a moment's notice. And you were the first person I thought of. So I'm thankful that you're here. I am honored to be here. (laughs) And uh, I'm honored to be making that film strip history since the beginning, the most impromptu episode. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Anthony, do introduce yourself to folks. Tell folks a little bit about Tis the Podcast. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm sure most of your listeners probably heard me by now. I've been on a few times, but uh, I host a year-round Christmas movie podcast with my co-hosts, Tom and Julia. Every Monday, we drop a new episode in which we discuss a different Christmas movie, TV show, television special, and uh, rank and review them. Um, It's currently October, so... We are taking a break to cover some Halloween content, which is always fun, because uh, five years into the show, we've really exhausted all the good Christmas content, but we still have plenty of good <laughs> Halloween content, since we're only uh, hitting that stuff once a year. Um, yeah. But you can find us uh, wherever you download podcasts. Just search Tis the Podcast. Absolutely. And follow them on Twitter. It'll be linked in the podcast description. You know our friends at Tis the Podcast. Always good to come on. And like I say, Anthony, I, I came out of this one and had thoughts and uh, thought, well, you know what? I, I need to talk about this with someone. So I'm glad <laughs> you were here to do that. Uh, but I, I got to tell you, like, I had no idea this movie was even a thing. I only know Sosie Bacon really from like the one season of 13 reasons why I bothered to watch and realized that mm-hmm. show's not really for me and I don't want it to be and kind of moved on uh, from that. And I mean, it was, she was great in it and I had no idea who she was, that she was, you know, Kira Cedric and, and Kevin Bacon's kid. Um, but you, when you see her, it's like, Oh yeah, now I get it. You know, um, right. but I, I don't yeah. really know her other work or anything. Um, so you so, didn't see any of the viral marketing for this? Like, well, that's the, the thing. I saw, yeah. I saw an ad. Like, I think it was it was just on television one day, and it was it's the clip where she walks by and the guy's just sitting on the bed, just creepy smiling, and you know, <laughs> she's snapping at him, and then you know, it's a big jump. And I'm like, well, okay, now we're just we've just come to that. And I immediately in my head thought, hey, that's like that uh, short that was on YouTube that once where the chick kept flipping the lights on and out, and that shadow kept appearing. Oh yeah, and I thought about that, and I was like, well, okay, well I kind of liked the lights out i thought you know that's kind of an underappreciated little movie that, that came out and it ha- actually had something to say it was kind of a trauma movie and i thought okay this is neat and I, but i i had really paid no other attention to it the work has been nuts for me the last you know, five or six weeks so i really have been kind of behind on a lot of movie trailers and whatnot which in some ways is working out well because it's shocktober and we're going to do halloween ends and i know almost nothing about that movie which is going to be a really <laughs> cool experience but yeah. i you know I, I i didn't know much about this i just kept seeing like a little bit of trailers and stuff and then i heard a little bit of 
scuttle coming out of like Fantastic Fest about it and sort of that, hey, it's a lot about a lot more than just it's not just, you know, jump scares and stuff. And I thought, OK, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I want to see that. And then, like I say, it was just a matter of finding the time to go do it. And so I finally just said, OK, the, the, honestly, the, the morning slate of NFL games was really lousy. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to the matinee. We're going to knock this thing out. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm glad I didn't know a lot, though. I mean, I, I went in kind of cold and just sat there and absorbed it for the, the two hours I was in the theater. Yeah, I saw the trailers for this. And I mean, I don't know. You said you've avoided the full length trailers, right? Like uh, they, they didn't give away a lot. They gave away one of the best jump scares in the movie where the lady's head comes down by the way. Her sister's head like falls mm-hmm. by the window, which is a shame. But um, it still didn't really give much of the plot away, except it's full of creepy smiling people. So I'm like, this looks interesting. And I saw it one Friday afternoon by myself, went to the early morning, early afternoon matinee, and uh, I loved it. I thought I had some good things to say about grief and trauma. And uh, I think this is honestly could be the spiritual sequel or sibling of it follows. Oh, th- this movie owes a lot of its legacy to Ringu and the ring. And then it follows certainly, I think also kind of like sinister. And then yeah. as I've already, already mentioned the, the lesser appreciated lights out and maybe even uh, the even more lesser appreciated Jessica Chastain joint mama, uh, which is oh, one yeah. from several years ago. My wife happens to be a big fan of and, and turned me on to, and I thought, you know what? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go with this because I just want, I just want to be, you know, taken away and entertained. It takes a lot to actually scare me. Jump scares always get me obviously, because it's just a visceral reaction. But there were times in the theater where I'd like the hair was standing up on my arms and my neck. And I thought, well, it's been a while since I felt like that creepy and it's daytime. And there's like maybe 10 people in this theater. I am totally safe. What am I freaking out about? <laughs> and, and I was like, well, this is just unnerving. And, um, but I, 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 I like that a lot. And we'll get into it as we get into it. There, there are certain things about this and the way it was shot and some of the music cues and stuff that I think this movie is borrowing from a lot of things that have happened. And sometimes that can be a problem for a movie or sometimes it can really work. Like the original Scream owes a whole lot to a lot of other movies, particularly the original John Carpenter Halloween, Halloween movie, as we've talked about and on both of our shows at different times. <laughs> but, but I mean, really, and I'm like, you know, that's not a bad thing to owe your, your legacy to something else if you can do something with it that, maybe is a little different or at least just represented in a way. And, and I was, I was impressed by this. I don't know Parker Finn from anything. I understand like this much like lights out was a short and like mm-hmm. saw before it was a short and the producers paramount got behind it and said, Hey, we'll, we'll give you some money for that. And you know, for 17 million bucks, um, what he gets out of great. this is pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know Charlie Saroff either, the cinematographer, but I made a note to write his name down because I thought some of the shots in this, I'm like, this is a way too classy shot to be in this kind of B movie like this. I mean, this yeah. is good looking stuff in this. And, uh, I don't know. I was, I was really impressed with the way, that they were able to put it together. But yeah, I, I didn't know much about it going in other than just who was in it and kind of, you know, I'd seen some of some of the, you know, the one trailer. And, and like I said, I, I, I kind of seen the viral pieces I saw like at major league baseball games. They started sticking like, I think it was the smiling people. Yeah. The actors and the, I was like, did they get the actors to go to this? Did they Blair Witch this stuff? And I'm like, man, I'm like, Paramount's putting some dough out for this. And I love just, a good marketing campaign. I like know, that. right. Well, you know, so you know, that's never part of the budget, right? But it's usually at least what the budget is. I'm like, Paramount has spent some money on this, but it's yeah. worked because they've it made almost a hundred million dollars off of it. Anytime you can get that kind of return on something, uh, particularly when you can get out early in the Halloween season because Halloween ends is going to be massive. You got Black Adam coming out, which will be this big DC movie. Um, you know, there's other things that are coming out in theaters that are going to dominate it here in a little bit. And the fact that they got out early in front of all of that might be the surprise of the scary season. I'm, I'm curious to see if, if, uh, you know, Laurie Strode can hold like this, especially since that's a simul release. I know the last one wasn't made money, but we'll see. But yeah, yeah this I one, I, d- I didn't know anything about it. You know, do you know anything about the director of the background here? Nothing, nothing. But to piggyback off what something you said earlier, you sat in the theater broad daylight with 10 other people and we're getting spooked. Uh, the same thing happened to me. And the best way I can compare it to is the other night, um, I saw Terrifier 2 mm. in a, uh, like it was 730 at night, completely dark. Theater was packed. And that whole time, it was. I, I had fun with that movie, <clears throat> but it was fun. I was laughing the whole time. This movie did a really good job of creating this eerie atmosphere that permeated the entire thing. And uh, I feel like not enough horror movies do that nowadays, or 
can at least make me feel that way. So kudos yeah. to them. Yeah, and we'll get into this one too because I I didn't I didn't even know what this was rated when I went and saw it, and I realized very quickly I was like, oh, this is definitely a rated R movie because of the <laughs> amount of gore going and the number of f bombs that we were throwing around as if they were just you know candy, and I was like, oh, well, we, we just clearly jumped right through that, and that's another <laughs> bold choice though because studios with horror movies have trended for about 20 years now to try to water them down and let's just let's just skirt on that let's be pg-13 and mm-hmm. really what you get is kind of a compromised vision i'm not saying you have to be just grotesque or rob zombie or something you know, <laughs> language goes but yeah. you know, I, I want a good horror movie i want a good scare i want it to, to live up to the blood and this one certainly does it's got some visceral gore in it in, in addition to uh, some of the other you know stuff that's going on a lot of the themes that, are, that it's about yep for sure agreed well, okay, spoilers hot, everybody, and just in case it's not already obvious. But uh, yeah, we're about to blow this movie for you. So if you have any intention of seeing it at all, thanks for downloading Pauls. Go watch it and then come back and listen to me and Anthony chop up about it for a little while here. But uh, yeah, you've been warned. So I'm about to tell you everything this movie's about. I'm trying to just cut as much of a straight line through this as I can, Anthony. We'll have to talk about how it uh, unravels itself. But yep, and I do, and I do want just want to say before you hop in, this is one movie I would recommend, even if you don't mind spoilers, go in as blind as possible like oh, i agree heed our heed our advice and pause now go watch the movie and come back yeah de- definitely I'll, I'll spoil that part for the end here but yeah you should go see this and and if you want to know at all if you want to be cold on it at all then this is definitely the way to watch this kind of movie so in this film psychiatrist dr rose cotter is driven to help patients by a strong desire to overcome a tremendous sense of guilt she feels having watched her mother's suicide at age 10 Thoroughly devoted to her work, Rose has a cold relationship with her fiancé, Trevor, and an antagonist one with her older sister, Holly, which strains her relationships with Holly's husband and son. When a PhD student is referred to Rose because of hallucinations she's having of an evil presence that greets her with a wide, creepy smile, Rose tries to intervene only for the young woman to break a flower pot and cut her own throat and face off in front of her. Traumatized by this, Rose begins to fall apart in spite of trying to power through it all and is in the process discovers a series of suicides by people who see others kill themselves and then enlists the help of a police detective named Joel, whom she once had a relationship with. Rose becomes convinced that there's a way to break this pattern and learns of a prisoner who did so by killing someone else, thus passing on the curse. But refusing that path and further unraveling, Rose travels back to her childhood home, which is now run down and confronts the memory of her mother's death. See, Rose didn't just find her mother, but she refused to help her mother's final pleas after she overdosed on pills, um, deeming her to be too much of a monster to keep living, or at least that's the memory Rose has of it. The evil force behind it all finally reveals itself as a nine-foot monstrosity, kind of like the bearable activity the ghost dimension for some reason. (laughs) Rose realizes it's just a product of her tortured psyche as she sets it on fire and escapes. Except she doesn't escape. The entity reveals its true final form and inhabits Rose just as Joel arrives. Rose dons that creepy smile, pours kerosene on herself, and strikes a match as Joel watches her burn, leaving us to believe he is now next in line for the smile curse. And there's a lot of misdirections in this. There's a lot to do. But that's pretty much what happens in this movie. So we'll let to get into it as we go. But um, yep. from the get-go, the thing that I will, I will credit this movie for is and I don't know this this composer at all, and I'm going to butcher his poor name, uh, uh, Cristobal Tapia Denvir. Uh, if I've messed up your name, my apologies to your family, sir, as, as you're from <laughs> Chile. Uh, but his work here is very Carpenter esque, and I mean like a very specific realm of Carpenter esque. I'm talking about Thing, Escape from New York, Halloween Three, Carpenter mood and synth and pings and just noises and stuff and man i mean from the opening bell it you just it just takes me into a different place i already know like there's this gray kind of hewn over the whole movie it's shot it's at least placed in new jersey i don't know if it was shot there or not but they certainly nailed like the northeast fall <laughs> gray yep. time of year you're from there anthony you you tell me did they get that right because it sure felt they, like it they nailed it they nailed it and let me tell you this um what did you say his name was a musician Cristobal tapia then yeah, let me tell you, he underscored, just like John Carpenter does in all of his films, how important a score is to a horror movie to mm-hmm. make it effective. His his score was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, really, it's it's 
it's the mood setter, right? You know, I mean, that's the the common thing people have said about movies before they hit the score on them. It's like, this is boring. And I'm like, well, yeah, this movie would be incredibly weird, and kind of boring without the music in it. Because the dialogue comes in like these quick dumps. And and I got to give Sosie Bacon a, a credit here. And I think part of this is just, I'm always remembering that Sky character she played in, in 13 Reasons Why. But she yep. plays like this good, nervous kind of, on the edge energy kind of breaking apart and she has these eyes and i can only say she gets them from her mother because kirsten always looks like she's on the verge of tears and Mm -hmm. whether that's real or not that's just how she looks and her daughter has the same look and she always kind of looks like she's on the verge of just being completely stressed out and worn out and um i'm not a psychiatrist but i've had counseling training and i know people that work in that field and it can be an incredibly taxing job and and so i know people that go through this and and even some of the counselors i work with now i i I can see how people get caught up in this stuff so when you see we meet this woman she's already kind of on the ragged edge she's sort of worn out and i love how they just throw us in we know nothing about her we're not going to get a whole lot about her except through little pieces but the way she plays it and how she plays somebody who's clearly exhausted but is driven by something to help and make a difference for people, uh, it, it's it's compelling. It draws us right in, or at least it did for me. It did for me as well. And um, uh, like you, I know people in that field, and I thought it was incredibly real to life. I mean, you talk to people in that field in real life, and they that's why they say like um, – you know, shows like House with the dark humor, like they say you run into that a lot in real life because you need it to survive in those fields because of mm-hmm. what you deal with day to day. Um, but yeah, I, I bought her from the moment she was introduced on the screen. And I think even if audiences aren't uh, personally familiar with people in that field, they can at least relate to that feeling of being overworked. Like she looks exhausted, like she's going to collapse at any moment. Yeah, I mean, just like she's got too many cups of coffee and, you know, just it, it won't matter. Like she could she could drink, you know, 10 venties and it wouldn't make a difference. You know? <laughs> All the espresso yep. would not matter. But they bring in this young woman to her PhD student and the way they describe it and the way she reacts to it is exactly how I would like. She watched her professor kill himself with a hammer in front of her. And I'm kind of, I, I sort of went in my head to a real weird place. I went to that place where that just rando guy in Halloween is telling Donald Pleasance about that guy that got a hacksaw. You know, I just kind of was like, just this random story of like, how would you even do that? I mean, I, I guess I know, but yikes, you know, and yeah, that would be weird. And so you can see why that fishes her in. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing about this. And, and, you know, this movie is, is about a lot of things. I think we'll talk about, you know, some of the, the allegories we get into it. But if it just is a straight line, it's just about a curse, you know, and, and it's random. And that's what's awesome about it is that it doesn't, it's not related to her. She doesn't know any of these people. None of these people know each other except just through their contacts with each other. You know, it's just pure day. bad luck that she exactly. ran into this woman. Yep. It's almost like that Denzel Washington movie Fallen. You know, yeah. it's, it's just that, that, you know, spirit is just kind of bouncing around in there. Now it's, he's a little more tied to that story centrally, but, but same, same basic idea. And I kind of like that here. And, and again, I, you know, if this movie is, if, if anything, it's an homage to a lot of different stuff. And I, I kept going back to like the ring as well. Like, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it just happened on the only watch's desk and, Oh, that's a good story. And here we go. Curiosity and all that, all that stuff. And, it's that same kind of feeling, though, that I got watching Ring all those years ago that I'm getting watching this opening scene where this this young woman, and I don't know who Caitlin Stacy is, but we talk about just nailing it, going from, again, completely like zoned out and just afraid edge person to being attacked to then that smile. And as she cuts her face off, basically, I, I was just like, what? And so That's five a- minutes into this movie, I was dropped. It is amazing because you would never think a smile could be so creepy, but man, it was effective. Oh, like, I would. I grew up around clowns. What are you talking about? Uh, I, mean, clowns? I, mean, yeah, I, I pretend clowns don't exist, Jay. That's principally happy. Is like, that's a problem. And well, yeah, what, what world are you living in, people? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, really, like that's that's the thing, though. That's what makes it unnerving. It's like. Why are you looking at me like? And I love how how and she really only gets the one scene. She's in a couple of like pop ups here, but the way she describes this, it's like it's just this it's this thing. I can't really tell you what it is, but you're not gonna believe me. And she you know, and and I love how 
um, Sosie Bacon as Dr. Rose here is really just, she's trying to calm her down, but she's not, she's doing good counselor like play. I, I'm, I was really impressed with her and the other lady that plays the therapist in this, like the way that they, they go about questioning and it's just sort of, okay, we're just going to, we're just going to work the problem, but they're not trying to solve you. And they're not trying to get you to calm down quote. They're just going yeah. like, okay, so tell me what that's like. Okay. Well, why do you feel that way? Well, you know, and they're just the good questions coming out. And I was like, whoever wrote this has either been to therapy or knows some therapist has read a couple good books, like knows how to do that. Cause that is not something that is natural. You have to learn how to do that. And I, I was really impressed yeah, they, with the way that that unfurled. They did their research. And I'll say that's a pet peeve of mine with a lot of films, whether you're doing a cop procedural doctor or whatever, the people who clearly didn't research what it's actually like to be in that field, huge pet peeve of mine in film. So I was really impressed with this, with the writing of the counseling scenes. Oh no, de- definitely so. And, and again, just the way this opens up and, it's going to be one of many times that they do this where a character turns their back to the audience and you know, that, don't turn around, but they've got to turn around. And that, <laughs> yep. and, and when they do, we do. And it's like, no, please don't do this. And I actually caught myself going like, do I want to look at that? <laughs> you know, a couple of times, I was like, okay. Now this movie has won something already because that normally I would be like, yeah, just come on, bring it. And, and I was like, okay, this I'm genuinely creeped out the first five minutes into this movie. And I think I knew like, okay, something bad obviously has got to happen here. Um, and it's also when, you know, we, we see Rose try to pick up and go from that. Right. You know, she has to talk mm-hmm. to her and I didn't know Cal Penn was in this too, but he just kind of pops up as this <laughs> doctor administrator guy. And I'm like, well, okay, good for you. Good to see you still getting work. And yeah, you know, right. he's, he's telling her like, Hey, you know, you got to tell me this, that, and the other, you know, some procedural thing or whatever. And I love how she's just trying to work with this vulnerable guy, poor Carl. And I, I, I don't know who this dude is, but Jack Soche, hats off to you, sir. That was an incredible portrayal. I haven't seen something yeah. that good since like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You couldn't help but in one moment feeling completely heartbroken for him, and then the next being completely terrified of him. He did it so well. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the best actor, uh, like ancillary characters in this film, for sure. Yeah, and he's in like three scenes, but it, mm-hmm. the way that he comes in, and he's just sort of repeating those words: "I'm gonna die, she's gonna die, we're all gonna die." I'm just gonna, and he's just sort of mumbling all that. Life, like, life is meaningless. Yep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it really matters. Like, wow, I know. I'm like, man, this is like we've we've gone off the you know too much uh, nine inch nails for you, and <laughs> she's trying to get him to you know, of course, process. And she's like, hey, he's probably harmless. Let's just keep him for observation. You know, doing the the smart doctor thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, um she sees that he hasn't really been there, you know, that he's not really there. Right. And that's when she, she comes back to see him again. And and this was the part I think I saw in the teaser was when he's just sitting there grinning at her and she's like snapping at him. And then he, he just goes into a different place for, which I think I interpret now as the curse thing that's how it gets to you is you've now seen somebody die. So that's going to torture you and drive you mad for four days. So then you'll do this horrific thing and it passes how it passes itself. That's at least how I understood it. And right. this Which is just your manifesting point, itself through him, you know, which to your point is like the ring, this whole seven days thing before she yeah. passes it on. And to what, like I said earlier, it follows like uh, you to pass it on to unsuspecting people. They're having sex. It's essentially a sexual STD. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden you start getting stalked by this monster until you either succumb to it or pass it on. So. Right. And this is where the lights out thing came in too. Cause when they start talking about suicide and, and spoiler alert, lights out is also about dealing with trauma from, from people uh, taking their own life and, and being related to them and sort of the, the mental anguish of that. This movie borrows a lot from that too. And I thought, Oh, this, that's kind of neat that we're, you know, we can take a very deep, dark, heavy subject like that and do something like this with it, where if you want to read all the allegory into it, you can, or if you just want to watch a scary ass ghost movie, with that as kind of the the backdrop for it, it works either way. And I, that's hard to do because, you know, movies like this can either come off like too preachy, uh, which yeah. sometimes lights out kind of leaned over into, not the short, but the, the full length one. Yep. Or they do like this one where they, they almost like run away from it when they, they probably shouldn't. We'll talk about that when we get to it. But, um, but yeah, I, I was blown away by how they, they introduced that concept here and how she starts to learn about all this stuff. Well, before we move on from um – his character, uh, this guy, how it manifests through him when she's in front of him snapping. Talk about like 
so horror movies often, at least modern horror movies, don't make you feel for the main character. Mm-hmm. You felt for this woman uh, the entire time, Dr. Rosie Cutter. You felt for her the whole time. Um, but the way this curse plays with her, this patient was actually doing nothing, and she calls in like the men in white coats to tackle him and basically yeah. sedate him and traumatizes him even more for doing nothing. And like seeing his reaction in the aftermath of that and her reaction like oh crap what have i done like that was heartbreaking that's when you realize that the way this curse works is and the way it drives you mad is that it gets you to do things to people that you normally would do no harm to and then that guilt just weighs on you even more because we didn't talk about it she goes home that night from the the laura character having killed herself and she's just you know, she's like anybody. She's trying to process that. She's sitting there and fiance comes to the door and she drops a glass. You know, she, she just two or three times in this movie. And because she's seeing that girl sitting over in the corner, she's seeing her everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, you would, you would hallucinate for that. I could see that. That's, you know, PTSD. That's part of it. Those and, shots of the girl in the dark, though, oh, so man. effective. Again, really yeah, creepy. Yeah. Again, Charlie Seroff, the cinematographer here, I'm like, man, you you clearly come from the school of Dean Cundy and know how to like subtly just stick stuff in the background and, and freak everybody <laughs> out because that was well done. Yep. And but I like I like how Rose responds to this, though, too. She's like, you know what? I'm going back to my therapist. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm like, you know what? I mean, most of the time, like people in horror movies make the dumbest decision possible to move the plot forward. But this movie works in the reverse of that, Anthony. It You have to make the smart choice to actually move the plot forward, which obviously will ultimately kill you, which is weird. I mean, so it's yeah. counterintuitive, but it's also kind of neat to watch, right? That, oh, oh, you're actually doing the right thing and it's going to cost you everything. <laughs> And of course, her doctor doesn't necessarily think it's the right thing because she hasn't been in a while. And the first thing she does is ask for a certain type of drug. And her doctor's like, eh, let's wait a few sessions. Oh, before yeah. Can you I tell you how much I love that, by the way, though? Because again, yeah. movie doctors are like, sure, here's prescriptions. Yeah. I'm like, no, nope, no, nope, they don't just hand those out for nothing, kids. Like, you actually have to prove it. So, yep. her, her life's on the line for that, too. She's like, mm, I'm not going to court for you. So, and by the way, I saw her office. So I'm like, mm, no, she's clearly a, you know, several, several she, dollars. She knows for her, her, her uh, therapy so but i, I don't know robin weigart from, from anything i know her face i don't know that i've seen a ton of the stuff she's in but immediately i knew who she was i was like oh yeah i know you and i'm like at some point you're going to become somewhat evil in this somehow and she doesn't really but she kind of does she has one scene yeah. that's pretty amazing later but uh, as a character the actual character is is very attentive very good and so again another nod to good therapy and good stuff being shown about therapy there. And I, I like how Rose is trying to take care of herself while also trying to keep up with all of her responsibilities and all these things. And we, we got to talk about the dinner she goes to with her sister. (laughs) I mean, I thought I'd like all of a sudden I thought, did the disc skip and we get sex in the city three? Or something, because I thought I was in a different movie when Jillian Zinsser shows up and the way she's just nonstop and her poor put up on husband is just over there. He's just whipped in the corner. And they yeah, were completely from a different film, those two. But I yes. loved I loved it. I loved this scene because I just the whole time I'm sitting there like, really? And then finally, Rose, sh- Rose snaps with, you shut the fuck up. I'm like, yes, thank yeah. you. I mean, just, I mean yeah, I mean, they're just going at each other. The whole, I mean, she's just constantly nagging her and the sister is, and she just unloads. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> but that's the first, that's when you see that you're like, oh, she's got an edge that she is yeah. desperately trying to hide. And for an actor to be able to do that, that's hard to pull off and it not be so obvious, right? That they're mm-hmm. hiding it. And she, Sosie Bacon does such a good job of, again, being on that kind of frayed corner of everything yeah. and then just exploding at the wrong moment. And she realizes it. And I love it. I love the, the Greg, the, the husband, like they bring you steak. He's like, well, I've been looking forward to this all week. And he's like, oh, God, I can just eat this and go home. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, um, and we've all been at awkward dinners like that. Oh, just like, yeah. Just like we've all related to Rose in this moment, right? We've all been overworked or overtired to the point where somebody mm-hmm. just happens to run into you on the wrong day or say the wrong thing, even if they didn't mean it, and you just snap. 
Oh yeah, look, I'm I'm there, and I'm I'm fortunate at this point in my life that I know enough about myself that I will straight up cancel plans on you if I know yeah. I'm in that place. I'm like, I'm not gonna be good company tonight. I know I'm not. I'm just gonna <laughs> like I I'll even tell my my wife. I'm like, I'm just gonna go over here because I prom I'm not good company right now. Just trust me, <laughs> and you know, it, and you know that and it works. You know, so learn that about yourself learn those boundaries kids it makes a difference but, because rose does not and that's part of the problem and we know why though and it's what we'll, we'll start to figure out why because what they're arguing about is the husband is kind of saying like you guys should just sell that land or, you know where your old mom's old dilapidated house is i don't know why y'all are hanging on to it what are you hanging on to it for you know you're not going to live there you know and all this stuff and she obviously can't let go of that and we'll learn why later we'll learn but why. Yep. yeah yeah she doesn't want to let go of all of that and it can be really tough to do when you're dealing with somebody's you know death and and that I, I like how she starts dealing with that and I, one thing i did not see coming until they reveal it a little bit later when she goes over to his apartment when, when we meet kyle gallner when he just showed up i was like oh i haven't seen you since that awful nightmare on street remake i'm glad you're working uh, you, yes you have he was in scream five he was that the guy who got right. killed very quickly from yes. ghost by Ghostface. I, so much so i forgot about him yeah <laughs> I, yeah you're right he does get killed in like the parking lot that's yep. right that's right he plays like a greaser or something i, I think i saw him in that red state you know that horrible kevin smith movie that completely it's, it's nice to see him getting get good. Yeah. it's nice to see him getting better horror movie roles now well, you know what yeah you know what he's actually I've, I've always liked him when i've seen him in stuff and i'm like you know what he's actually good in this mm-hmm. i did not catch that they had a thing going there i thought like he had like a little crush on her because that nurse does that whole bit like you know she's engaged but i'm single <laughs> honey you know thing and i'm like that i know people like that that would be funny and i, I thought well maybe he was trying to crush her but when she shows up later you realize like oh no that they were together before her and Trevor, who I only know as the grown-up kid in Independence Day Resurgence. My, my bad, uh, uh, Jesse T. Usher. But I, I didn't know him from either. So I'm like, oh, so you upgraded from the cop to like the yuppie that drives a Tesla. And, and now and y'all live out in this you know gorgeous house in the middle of nowhere. And that's the other thing, too, that I, I it hit me as I was driving back home. And I was trying to sort of process this movie. Mm-hmm. Is that Rose works in a very populated place. She's always around people, but she lives out in the middle of nowhere. And she grew up in a place that looks like it's out in the middle of nowhere. So she's always kind of self-isolating, which can be a very dangerous thing for somebody that's dealing with trauma because that's what they want. But that is not necessarily what you always need. Right. Yeah. No, but again, like they do a good job of, and I keep saying, using the word relatable, like, uh, you know, I don't want to pretend I have the same type of trauma here as she went no. through, as we'll discover. But mm-hmm. as somebody who just gets, you know, deals with his own less serious mental illness, after a full day of work, you do just want to isolate. You do want to be introverted. Just go home and, you know, put on your pajamas and just sit and watch a movie or something and just not deal with the world. So I totally understood where she was coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. But you get the sense that. I didn't pick up on the fact that her and Joel had had a thing before. And so she goes right. by to his apartment and the way he reacts to her, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. They, Oh, that's why they have that little awkward meet cute thing. Yeah. And uh, it was, I don't know. It was, it was well done. And I, I like how she drags him into this because you've got to have, and this is where I feel like this movie borrows a lot from Sinister. You got to have a deputy so and so. Yeah. Um, which is Robert Cargill. Thank you for giving us that. In life. But, but I mean, really, like, I'm like, well, that's who he is in this movie. Deputy so and so. He's James Ransom. So fun. Um, and it would have been great if they just got Ransom, but maybe he's, maybe he's a little out of it at this point, but uh, he's a little too old to play opposite Susie Bacon. But uh, although I will say one of the things that this movie could have done better is when they start researching the line. The, mm. that tracks back like i find it a little unbelievable like no cop picked that up on that to begin with like the first two suicides yeah like cops and th- I, i'm not being me i i appreciate the work that cops do but cops by nature especially detectives are, are incredibly skeptical people so yeah. they are taught to look for patterns and when they see one, they're picking up the phone. They're talking to because right. because none of them want to become what their predecessors were that let serial killers like Bundy and all these people operate for years because they didn't talk to each other. These guys pick up the phone and they talk to each other constantly now. Like, hey, you got any weird like Chevy vans running around in your neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, we do too. And all of a sudden, that becomes the rage, right? But right. I mean, sometimes maybe that's not a good thing. But at least they would communicate that. I'm with you. I'm like. 
we kind of skimped on that story, but I feel like this movie is like, yeah, you know that thing that all movies do and, and Sinister did and it Ring does? Well, we're just going to kind of fast forward through that because y'all know what that is. He's, he's going to pick up the computer and there's going to be some blood. And it's, yeah, you're there, right? Just go. And, and I'm like, well, I mean, I, it would have been cool, but I'm also like, hmm, this movie's already almost already two hours long. They, they yeah. clearly didn't want to do all of that. And it's also not a TV show. So I don't, it's not made by HBO. So they're not going to drag it out over six episodes. So to, to tell me one, you know, fact, looking at you, House of Dragon. But, uh, you know, uh, th- th- this this is clearly, you know, using the shorthand that the audience would know uh, at this. And if you don't know it, it's okay. You you don't need it. Yeah. Like it, right. it would have been good, but it wasn't necessary. But I did notice that too. I was like, well, we jumped from A to five really fast. <laughs> I didn't realize we had done that, but okay. I, I guess we just have to speed along the, the second act. And and I do feel like that's where the movie gets a little perfunctory, but, but gosh, if it had slowed down at that point, it, it might've lost something because it, it does stop for a little while. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. I get why they did it. It's just for the rest of the film, considering how true to life they made these counselors and doctors mm-hmm. and stuff, I thought to myself, well, I guess they skimped a bit on the cops. <laughs> I, I wanted more of the Rob Morgan character, Robert Talley. He's only got the one scene where he's the prisoner where he, you know, Joel discovers that this guy killed somebody. He killed a stranger and he, he, you know, she figures out like, oh, he passed it on to somebody that way. That's how you break it. And so she goes in under, I've got this patient and, you know, I'm, I'm asking for a friend, you know, the asking mm-hmm. for a friend joke. And then all of a sudden she blurts it out because she can't hide it. And he just loses his shit. And I was like, that was awesome. He was like, you get a, what, get that white woman away from me. No, I, you are not giving that back to me. <laughs> I mean, I that was awesome. I loved that because I can't, mm-hmm. I mean, the situation is so absurd, but imagine mm-hmm. being in his shoes and you found a way to break that curse. And then somebody else that comes to you in jail, like, I'd act the same way. I'm like, good for you. This guy's smart. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that that's the one thing though. He says something to her though, that I, I wish they could have just spent some more time with or whatever is that the only way to break it is to kill someone else in front of somebody that the curse will transfer to. And you have to make a mess out of it. It has to be really gory. We've seen like police footage now, like the best gas station footage, by the way, ever <laughs> of this guy getting these um, you know, head trimmers and just you know, basically decapitating himself in front of a lady. And and it just sprays all over her car and, you know, and it backs up. And that's the one who died before the professor who hammered himself in front of the student, you know, how it all connects together. <clears throat> that That's where, that's how they put it together. And it's just shorthand at this point. I would have loved to have had a little bit more like, why does it need such a violent display? You know, if, if there's something to that, there had to be, but you, you don't know. So what I, yeah. I was actually curious later on, like if he was going to be proven wrong and it just had to be something traumatic that didn't necessarily have to happen because i thought we might have seen her nephew who was so traumatized by his birthday gift oh yeah get it incidentally Uh, you know they kind of play with that for a minute let's talk about that whole nephew thing so she's not going to go to the birthday party but she decides to go to the birthday party because she's been given a week off now and she's like i should do something productive with my life and so she buys him a toy train but her cat mustache poor mustache has gone missing and i didn't i didn't think about this until that kid oh, gave her the two thumbs the up minute. and he started to open the box i was like oh there's gonna be a damn cat in there i and knew the moment we saw we met mustache i was like this cat's gonna die <laughs> well the way she's sort of indifferent to him too is a little weird but th- somehow she has been engineered to kill the cat and put it in the box instead of the toy train. And this little boy picks it. And I can only imagine like the birthday party from hell. You will never get over this. And I mean, all that goes on and she falls through a glass table and it's just crazy after this. And then when she goes back to her sister's house later and they have this big argument and she, uh, that's when you, the, you said it's in one of the trailers. I'm glad I didn't see that because she hallucinates and thinks her sister comes out and her head just drops down in front of her, which is just a jump. But all yeah. we see is the little boy watching his aunt lose her shit in her car. Yeah. just, and I'm like, Oh, it's going to pass to him. And they, they go away right. from that. I'm like, Oh, that would have been even better than the boyfriend. I think we, we, I thought we so too. I thought, that. 
Yeah. I thought it would have been cool if the prisoner was proven wrong. He didn't, you know, get the whole explanation. He got one way it could pass on, and then they discover another way. But right, right. They, I mean, well, and you know, who knows? You know, maybe they're both. You know, who who knows how it'll it'll wind up if they do sequels to this? And we'll talk about whether they should or not later. But yeah, that, but that those are some unnerving scenes and that's the thing about this movie is it's got plenty of gore in it and stuff like that but it's also just creepy unnerving and and again the music is working and the way she's freaking out all the time and just you know falls through that table and cuts the hell out of herself and then of course cal ben's like um a little worried about you i'm like uh yeah (laughs) i'm fine no no you are not fine girl like there are problems and what's neat is when she goes back home and the doctor her therapist comes to see her and we had this happen we we had a fake out earlier with the the uh the alarm company she gets a phone call and then all of a sudden it's it's the the alarm company starts going like are you sure you're alone rose and i'm like oh shit (laughs) He just went, when a stranger calls, if you check the children, you know, I was about to like, say, ghost face jumped over from the scream universe. I mean, I was like, uh oh, this is I mean, surprise, uh, Rose. You know, what I, I needed Roger Jackson for a second. Uh, but yeah, and so we've already had that. Now the doctor comes over and he's like, I really, we had a, because re- he's tried to, her fiance's tried to have this intervention with her after the cat situation and her fall into glass. And what did you think about her? Fi- fi- because this is a good point to ask what did you think about him like did you think he was almost a little too unsympathetic at this point for how she was clearly having a mental yeah i did too he was clearly from a movie like wall street money never (laughs) sleeps or margin call (laughs) yuppie asshole (laughs) it's really what he i mean and she calls him out on it too like anything that messes up your perfect little life and i'm like well i mean this would be the kind of guy that probably worked really hard for his perfect little life so maybe he's (laughs) a little annual attentive about it also you're freaking out so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he was kind of a jerk too. So, but, but, but he's also just kind of a nothing character, you know? So and, and at one point I thought they're going to reveal that he doesn't even exist, you know, like that would have been I, interesting. I if, yeah. Yeah. If he was a figment, but I don't guess I, I, I don't know if that was ever part of the plan or not, but I could have, I could have bought it if he had mm-hmm. been like just a, a projection of someone she had dated maybe after she dated Joel or in college or something, you know, but um, I, I don't know. I, I liked though when this scene though, it may be the best scene in the movie when the doctor comes over with Robin Weigart, when she is doing therapy with her and all this and the phone, she's like, you need to get that. And she picks it up and it's the actual doctor. And so she realized, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I mean, I said it out loud and somebody behind me said it at the same time, like, Oh shit. Like we yeah. both muttered it, and I was like, "Oh!" And we kind of looked at each other, like, "Yeah, it's about to go bad." And it was oh, fantastic. Man. And to your point, they had already faked us out once or twice before. So, mm-hmm. and yet, I still didn't expect it. <laughs> like, I mean, which, you, and you should because this movie is telling you, like, we are going to do this to you several, like, literally these four times in this movie. And I'm like, I. But that's that's a credit again to the way that the movie's made and the way these actors are drawing me into what they're doing. That I don't see the most obvious thing coming i know what's gonna happen because this movie is incredibly predictable like you know where it's gonna end but you're still there for the ride because it's just so much fun and and compelling and i mean it's like riding a roller coaster you've ridden a dozen times before it can still be a lot of fun you know close your eyes at a different spot of the track and you don't know where you are and this is what happens but when when the way robin weigart stands up walks over that couch smile and like chokes her and just is like that drool coming off man i was like holy shit this is alien three all of a sudden what is going on here yep no i loved it and i was trying i was trying to at this point count how many days she had had the curse because i know they said Mm -hmm. it was between four and seven and then in my mind i was trying to rationalize well how come it waits four days sometimes how come it waits seven is it just but i don't know like but when yeah. Robert Weingart, this was a performance from her, and oh. it was fantastic. I know that whole, like, it's almost time, Rose. I was like, oh. <laughs> and that, when that voice happened, I was like, mm, we got a little we got a little cheese on that. Like, we might have needed to undo the modulation a little, because that was a little scream. Yeah, I was about to say, I was thinking a little... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street when Freddy possesses people. <laughs> yeah, it was a little Nightmare Five you know, or Six. Like now we're playing with power, you know, or something like that. I mean, it, was, it was definitely getting getting into cartoon Freddy there. But okay, but you know what though? Again, 
if if a filmmaker is doing that, they're doing this for an audience that knows all of that anyway. Yeah. So it's like, man, might as well at least have a from it. But I do like how she her her idea for this is like, well, I'm gonna pass it on to somebody. So poor old Carl, you're gonna get it. So she drives to the hospital, and what we see is she goes in the room and she basically stabs Carl, but the demon possesses him at the same time, and they just starts laughing at her. And then the doctor, her doctor boss, runs in, and Kyle Penn peels his face off like he's fucking V or something. And then, only for her to wake up in her car again. And I'm like, damn it, stop doing that to me. <laughs> but then I'm like, but that was really good. <laughs> and kudos to Cal Penn at this point, his character, because he tries to get her out of the car and into the hospital because he yeah. knows this he woman's cracked up at this point. He sees that that. <laughs> And Gaffietti knife, like mm, no, no, that's not good. So, <laughs> that's not good. And uh, but she speeds away. Yeah. Well, but I mean, again, I knew I, I should have known they were going to fake me out, and yep. it shouldn't make me mad, but it doesn't because it was so well done. <laughs> it was so good. And when she that's rolls funny. up out in the middle of nowhere, I'm like, oh, she's going back to the old house, you know. And I'm like, well, we're going to revisit some old ghosts here, I guess. Let's let's see what happens. But when they reveal, I guess. And that's what I want to ask you, because I said in the plot summary like this, is this what really happened or is this just what Rose has reconciled in her mind as to what happened with her mom? Because you can play it either way. And I think the movie works. I tend to think the latter. I think like a lot of people who go through something like that, they blame themselves yeah. that they could have stopped it. And I don't think, I think if they got more into uh, Rose's therapy with Dr. Weingart or whoever, whatever her name was. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, you would have. They would have touched on that. Like Rose, this didn't happen. You're not at fault. Um, yeah. I just think they shied away from that. I do not believe for a second she was responsible for mom's death. Uh, I'm sure she probably walked in on her mom dead, and then blamed herself because she was home with her. But uh, yeah, I think that's just what the fantasy she made up to you know, keep blaming herself over the years. Well, see, I I'm tend to be with you on this too, that, and I think the doctor even says a line to her about like, you're still, you, you're never going to totally heal from that. Like it's okay. And you just need to accept that that's going to be part of your ex- experience in life. And it's, it's tough, but you can live and you can move on, but you never completely unfracture that or whatever however she puts it or like the wound never completely heals. You know, it's, there's always a scar or something. And I was like, okay, that's really well said. Like I, yeah, I, I can buy that. And I, when I watched it, I was like, well, this movie wants me to believe that, no, she just she made this choice as a ten year old. Like, no, you're an awful person. I'm gonna let you overdose. No ten year old thinks like that. No, unless they're on it's your Dawson's Creek or something. Yeah, ex- no. exactly. But in the way she talks about it, when she's you know screaming at the demon later, you were awful. I couldn't do it. I was like, no, that's what you've told yourself now because hindsight is twenty twenty. But yep. you didn't know that. You walked in, your mother was dead or was dying, and you didn't know what to do. And at 10, you wouldn't know what to do with that. And so she, you know, I, I think she has invented this way as a way to blame herself. And as someone who is admittedly my own worst critic and always have been, I, yep. I can buy this. I'm like, oh, yeah, only two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I get it. I see how you can go down that spiral. Yeah, 100%. Um, I have a question for you about this part, though. Um, I knew from the beginning when they mentioned this house, we were going to end up at the house at some point. Do you think the demon purposefully waited for her to isolate herself at the scene of her most traumatic event to go after her? Maybe. I mean, it didn't seem to have any other, any other real reason to do that other than it just knew that was her story. But like, then why did the professor wait to hammer himself in front of a student? I don't know. Like it's hard to know like why it chose that or if it's, I kind of tend to believe on this is things operating kind of like the, the one in fallen is that it's just sort of happening around and whatever's convenient at the time. We're just going to go with, you know, that's evil doesn't have this big plan that it just sort of does. You know, yeah, they're not all Freddy. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's it's more of what, um, and there's like a very small piece of this new iteration of Michael Myers that does this, I think. It's when he first gets back to Haddonfield in the 2018 Halloween, and he just goes on this killing spree for about 10 minutes down the street. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that. that is what the initial version of Michael Myers was. It was just this random force that just killed, you know? Yeah. And I kind of feel like this is the same thing. It just, this is the story that we're watching. But if we'd been yeah. watching the you know, uh, 
10 shears guy, we would have seen a different story. You know, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. The only reason I thought that was because like clearly with the doctor, there are a million different times this monster could have gotten her and it yeah. waited. But I, well, I, I was thinking, it, I think it's one of those things too. I kind of, and this is from just too much readings of Stephen King through the years and stuff, but it waits for you when you're at your weakest and it's got to wear you down so that it can yeah. get you, you know, and like, because especially somebody like this, who's trained to be able to, unravel your mind out of you know circles you have to really twist up one of these folks to make this work and and uh i don't know i, I thought it was kind of cool the way she she's going about this but i gotta say though i feel like this monster that comes forth of her mother <laughs> i i said to myself i was like why do I feel the influence of a studio? <laughs> yeah, we need something paramount. physical here. And, uh, paramount, and I've seen Ghost Dimension Paranormal Activity, and I know what they did with that. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, I don't know that Jack and the Giant Beanstalk was where I thought this was going to go. <laughs> because if it had turned into her nephew and the the sister showing up, you know? Yeah. And that, like, that would have been a different, because they just kind of go out of the movie after yes. that scene at the house. And I'm like, I wonder if that was maybe another part of this. And then they came to this thing at the end. Because I'll be honest, this is the point where I'm like, oh, this this became a very different movie like two minutes ago. I was not expecting this. And when she throws the, you know, the kerosene lantern on him, I'm like, well, sure, but... I, no, I, I don't know. I, I was not prepared for that. I didn't think... I that completely was. agree. This part... uh you know, for a movie that had me on the edge of my seat and breathless the entire time, like holding my breath the entire time, when we got to this, I couldn't help but letting out like a little grunt of laughter, like within yeah. the theater. Like it just looked. This is like, this took me out of it, honestly. And it's like, not what the if CGI follows, giant. What yeah. if it follows had just become like a giant? You know, some <laughs> genital <or> mort. For <laughs> right, yeah, right. like, different, or if you know, when the ring fi- when it finally happens and and uh, Samara comes out of the you know, TV and shit, like that is creepy as hell. Like it, that's been set up. It, yeah, it's not like a horse came to life or something random. It doesn't become this. 20 foot you know uh gigante well, I, I feel like there are a million different things they could have done like you said the nephew and the sister or yeah. even if it just took the form of the person who passed on the curse to you to begin with like that woman with the smile from the beginning yeah, was creepy back? as heck just have yeah. her there smiling yeah right but. i could i could have bought that that would have been so much more than um what, what I, I again this was just so weird and i thought mm, that's not that's not what I expected. When she lights it on fire and she runs out and the house burns down, um, I was like, oh, oh, well, all right. I mean, that's an ending. Okay. And I, I thought this was over and I looked at my watch and I was like, mm, this hasn't been going quite long enough. They don't have the, this movie, the kind of movie that has 25 minutes worth of credits. So what's going on? <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think we're going to get another fake out. And then she goes back to the to Joel's apartment. And and I, I, I mean, I was almost ready for it. I was like, Either she's going to start smiling at him all of a sudden, or he is. And when he started, when he dropped that whole, I'll stay with you forever or whatever, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Say it again. And I was like, I knew it. And, he just, and Kyle Gallner, to his credit, that is a great laugh. And it's so sinister. And I was like, yes, I love it. When she realizes that she's just still at the house. I'm like... Oh, this is kind of like sphere when they, they think they're outside of the thing, but they're not. You know, it's just still, I'm like, I like this. This is smart. But then they brought back the 10 foot guy again. And I was like, Oh, you could have just made that up. That would have been the better. 10 foot guy who climbs into her mouth. Okay. Yeah. It, we got to talk about what this thing does. Okay. It's like this Russian doll of mouths that open all of a sudden. So now we're in like. It land. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, yeah, it spreads her mouth open like Beetlejuice style and <laughs> proceeds to climb in. And I'm like, now I've seen a lot of like, uh, you know, demon possession kind of films and manifest in a lot of different ways. I've never seen that happen. <laughs> no, no, I did not think we were going to be getting that today at the movie theater. Cause I, at that I mean, point, I, I'm not gonna lie. At that point, I I literally just started laughing. I was like, I did too. Yeah, I did too. And you know what? There were a few laughs around the theater too. It did not have the effect. 
again, I think it was a studio note. I don't think such a carefully crafted movie by this director and cinematographer, I don't think this was their idea. No. But the way it peels its face off, too, because it's a callback to what Kyle Penn did, I was like, oh, no, you set that up for that. I was like, this feels like this feels like a studio decision. <laughs> no, it has to be 10 feet tall and it has to be a spider that Batman fights. <laughs> Well, yeah, right. or, or something like that and i'm like mm, this feels like well we want to get it made so this is what we're gonna do uh, but, but you knew you knew when joel showed up out of nowhere too i'm like well how did he even know she was there is he lojacking her phone now you know which I, I was also surprised by this too because apple has this thing that you cannot use an apple product if you are the quote bad guy in a movie, like if you notice that, that's always, um, I I've never noticed that. That's interesting. Is, like really picky about that. And I guess they'll like make exceptions when you're the protagonist of a horror movie and this is sort of visited upon you. But I'm like, Oh, like when she started, when it was so prominent, she's playing with that iPhone 14. I'm like, well, she's clearly not going to be the bad person, whatever this movie is going to be, <laughs> because they don't allow that. And I was like, Oh, well, you faked me out again. Once again, thank you. And, or maybe Paramount was like, here's a check. We don't care. You know, and then the Apple doesn't care anymore either. I don't know. But I, just, I remember that though. I remember reading that and I thought, okay, well maybe they still feel like she's a victim here, even though she's kind of now possessed by it. I don't know. But, <laughs> But I, I, I've somewhere in the middle of the movie, I decided like this has to end with her becoming like part of this, and it just passes on to somebody. Who's she going to give it to? And I was like, it's maybe the sister, maybe maybe the nephew, maybe the useless fiance. But they all disappear in the movie. Nope, it's the old boyfriend detective because the poor cops don't have a hard enough life. Let's go ahead, <laughs> and this guy lives and works in New York. Let's go ahead and give it to him. And but I will say that shot when she's like self-immolated. Oh, yeah. I was like, shit, that's good. Like That, that was, was really, really good. Yep. And I was glad they didn't show her completely going up in flames. Like, we got it through his eyes. Because that would have been really hard to watch after spending the whole movie with her and sympathizing with her this entire time. Yeah. And can you believe, like, at one point, they were just going to throw this out on Paramount Plus? But the test screens were so good, they're like, I don't know, let's give it a shot in a the theater and then now look what they put behind it. I mean, like all the money it's made. So that's insane they, to me. But yeah. and but that just goes to show <laughs> studios need to have faith in their filmmakers and uh their films and promote them. I mean, at at some point like I I mean, this kind of thing took on a life of its own and I think because it does have a lot of stuff in it that we know from other places, but it still goes. It, it well. I mean, this ending is. I did not see that. I saw you know her becoming part of the curse, obviously, but the way it unraveled, I, no, none of us saw that one coming. That was. I did not expect <laughs> to get again Jack of the Giant Meanstalk at the end of this. But okay, <laughs> that's that's where the movie went, and we're there. But yeah, I you know I guess before we wrap them up into our usual you know final thoughts and popcorn rings and stuff, Anthony, do you think they? I mean, they've left the door open if they want to go back to this. Do you think they will? I mean. I, Something makes this kind of money. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining the discussion's already been had around Paramount about doing Smile Two. Still smiling. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I would love if they didn't, because this mm. is such a perfectly executed story for the most part, minus the giant at the end. Mm. Um, but again, money talks. Seventeen million dollar budget. $90 million within under a month. Yeah, they're going, they're going to revisit it some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, think that's a yeah. sad reality of Hollywood nowadays. I, I think it's just the, yeah, I think you're right. I think that is the, the reality, but gosh, I got to say, um, it's neat to see a little small thing like this take off and become a life of its own. It, it, it certainly has been successful and I think it will hang around and I, you know, I won't be surprised if at the end of the, Halloween season, you know, people are talking about this movie maybe more than some of the other stuff that's coming down the pipe. Well, I this will, I'll definitely be revisiting this one a lot once it hits home media because um, I really enjoyed it. Um, not to give away my popcorn rating yet, I do have one question though because there's another little um, under the radar horror movie that grossed big earlier in September. Have did you see Barbarian? Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, same idea. That was one that I felt like they wanted to get out in front of everything, and maybe that was the smartest thing to do because that movie worked out really well too. I actually really enjoyed that one too. I'm not gonna lie. And I, having seen that, this, and I, having just watched Hulu's Hellraiser, 
Of oh, I just watched that today too. Yeah. yeah I'm like, well, Hulu should have thrown that in a theater, uh, but that's mm-hmm. another discussion for another day, perhaps. But uh, cause the old Hellraisers are all back in the archives, all except that last one. And nobody cares. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's at the time we're on the podcast where it's time to do final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings. We've already told you to go see it y'all. So let's, let's get the popcorn <laughs> ratings out. Anthony, what are yours for smile? Uh, I am going to give it, what is it, an extra large popcorn, all the trimmings, all the butter, uh, highest recommendation I can give it. Uh, yeah, the giant took me out a bit at the end, but it's five minutes of the, what is it, 95-minute movie. It wasn't that long, two-hour movie, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, again, not many films can keep me holding my breath the entire time, but the atmosphere is perfect, cinematography and direction are great. Acting was fantastic, and it was just a great, unique story that uh, really had something to say about trauma, which I appreciate. I'm glad it had something to say, and it wasn't just a run-of-the-mill, meaningless monster movie. So, Yeah, I mean, again, this movie owes itself to stuff like It Follows, The Ring, Oculus, Lights mm-hmm. Out. You know, We've named a, a million of them here, and we could do it, another million of them. And I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily that it, it has all this shorthand that, yeah, we know what this is, you know, you know because it, when it can bring you into the story like it did us at different times where you kind of forget that, oh, yeah, I know exactly what's about to happen. It doesn't matter because it's the way it unfolds. You still don't see it coming. And even though I know the jump is coming, like the cat's going to jump right at the screen on me or whatever, I'm still on edge waiting for it to happen. And that's mm-hmm. the mark of something that's really well put together. And and I credit everyone involved with this for putting it together and knowing what they had. And I'm with you. I hope they don't do anything else with it. Just leave it. Leave it as a good little one shot. And mm-hmm. I want to see Parker Finn and some of these other folks, they'll go on and do other stuff, though. Now I want to see, you know, give them some some bigger budget and a little bit more work and see what they can come up with. Or maybe not. I don't know. You know, Jason Blum used to argue, like, you don't just have to give people more budget because they're successful. You let them keep doing what they're good at. And, uh, you know, I. I'm I'm curious to see where this goes next because I I do think um, this is a filmmaker that's got something to say and and made a really interesting film that could just be a derivative B movie that's using trauma as its facade or if you really want to dig into it there's some good like allegorical material here too and I'm I'm with you definitely one I will revisit when it's on Paramount Plus I'm I'm excited about it and so I'm gonna I, have a large popcorn on it though I I don't go full extra large like you but I did have a great time with it so I give it a good large popcorn I would love to see Parker Finn for Blumhouse make uh, the next iteration of whatever they do with the Nightmare on Elm Street. That would be very neat. Yeah. Because I think he could have something interesting to say about like uh, Freddy. You know, Freddy is born from trauma, right? He's traumatized those kids. I I think he could do something really interesting with that concept and make him scary again. I I agree. And, you know, I I could spend all day and I did, you know, on a podcast previously in the archives talking about what I wished they had done with that uh, uh, (laughs) reboot of that movie. And they kind of almost did. And then they stop halfway in between. I'm like, no, that would have been way more interesting if the kids had made that shit up. (laughs) (laughs) It'd been murderers instead of (laughs) of vigilantes. But, you know, hey, that. We weren't going to do that, so um, because you don't want to feel for the uh, uh, (laughs) mass killer person, not like that at least. So, uh, yeah, no, but this movie, a lot of fun. Smile was a lot of fun. Anthony, I'm glad we got to talk about it here. A little special bonus episode here uh, for Shocktober because uh, we've already had Blade out with Matt Bledsoe from Film Feast. That was a lot of fun. Brian and I are going to do Halloween ends, and then Lindsay and Ron and I've got a very special thing to wrap up Shocktober with. I'm going to leave it as a secret right now. We're gonna have a little fun uh, to to wrap up with. So we'll we'll do it. This was a, a little bonus episode to have some fun with here. But really appreciate you coming on and doing this with me. Tell folks again how they can follow you and follow Tis the podcast. All the cool stuff y'all are doing. Yeah. So first of all, I want to say thank you. This is awesome. When you messaged me earlier today to talk about Smile, I was so happy. You made my day today. Like Sunday nights are always hard right before work. So I was so glad to have something to do tonight. Uh, ward off those sun, uh, Sunday night blues for a while. But yeah, you guys can find me at Tissa Podcast, uh, linktree.com slash Tissa Podcast to get all of our social media. Again, it's a year-round Christmas podcast. Me and my co-host discuss a different Christmas movie, television special, etc. Every Monday, all throughout the year, except for October when we delve into the realm of Halloween movies, which um, you guys, if you check us out in the next few weeks, you'll hear Jay here coming on to discuss Scream 2, and you'll hear Ron Hogan come on to discuss uh, 
Halloween 2018. So should be a good few weeks. It should be a lot of fun. You can listen to my review of Halloween 2018 in the Filmstrip archives, obviously, but Ron wasn't on those shows. But Ron and I did review Scream 2 uh, with our friend Brian back in the day, too. But it's been a while since I revisited that. Remember the last time I watched the Scream movies was before the new one came out when you and and Corey and I talked about it. So uh, I'm excited to go back and talk about Scream 2 because uh, I think, as I told you, I have hashtag thoughts about that movie. (laughs) And um, you know, having spent a lot of my adult life working on college campuses, um, I, I'd have some specific things that that one does with college that uh, we'll, we'll get into over on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, always fun to talk with you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Filmstrip. Of course, you can follow the show on all the social media platforms at Filmstrip Pod. Go ahead and give us a like, give us a follow. Uh, if you will, share the show on your social media. It helps other people find the show. And if you're able to do so, give us a five-star review because it always helps other people find the show. We've been around a long time. We have a big catalog out there. So just go to filmstrippodcast.com, take it to our anchor distribution site, and you can find all of our episodes there. If you go to our letterbox page, you'll see kind of a, a big list of everything that we've ever done. And I, I guarantee you somewhere in the 30 or 340 something episode, there's something there for you. I promise. So, so uh, find I, it out. And I promise as somebody uh, who has not listened from the beginning, but uh, you guys have kept me entertained for hours during my commutes and during the work day. So Guys, seriously, check them out. Subscribe. There's a total back catalog, which will keep entertained for a few years, honestly. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And once again, thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll talk to you again soon. For Anthony, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Film Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.